0: Good morning, Mike. How are you doing? Man? Hey, Kevin. So this is uh, six episode six or seven we're, we're trying to do now. Episode uh, one of those. Have you, have <laughs> you been getting any feedback from from I your have, friends and family from
1: and- some uh, podcast listeners uh, who have said they've really enjoyed them and asked for more. And some of those people, I'm not even related to. <laughs>
0: That's great.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was I came across a. Uh, um An article the other day, and it was a study that was done by the Rolling Stones, and they talked about it was the hundreds.
0: Hundred- wait, wait a second. By the Rolling Stones or Rolling Stone oh, sorry, Did I say
1: Rolling stone <laughs> That'd be great
0: if <laughs> if Mick Jagger and them were, were doing survey and statistical research. This would be a great podcast. <laughs>
1: Actually, uh, Mick Jagger was included in this study, and it was not done by the Rolling Stones, <laughs> but by Rolling Stone magazine. But they they, uh, to, to, they talked about, or they wrote about, they listed the 100 greatest songwriters ever. And uh, of course, uh, by the way, there was no Cole Porter or George Gershwin <laughs> included in that. So it was pretty much... You know, the rock and rollers and. Yes, yeah, sure, uh, sure. So but great were,
0: songwriters nonetheless. Yes. You know, yeah.
1: So uh, at any rate, it was t- entitled the 100 Greatest Songwriters Ever. But numbers two and three were John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Uh, they had Dylan, of course, as number one. But uh, Lennon and McCartney were considered by the study, at least, as the second and third greatest songwriters. Okay, uh, yeah. Uh, I guess of the era, you could probably. Uh, reduce it to that but at any rate so that's pretty strong Uh, yeah sure and so I don't know if there's ever been a more popular band I don't know if there's ever been a band that uh, made more of an impact um, uh, around the world Uh, and it's interesting because there's all kinds of uh, discussion about um you know were these great musicians or were they just are they wrote good songs or did they really know music or were they just really talented people uh, did they play by ear or did they could they read music you know, i've heard the question music? like
0: like did they know music theory and people taking both sides of it like like a infinite internet reddit argument or something uh well some people will say they're great musicians precisely because they didn't bother with any of that eurocentric music theory the formal stuff and other people say no absolutely they they knew music theory and they they did all the great stuff and they stayed great songs uh, i i now come down on the they knew music side i'm not saying they went to the you know the london academy royal academy of music and past all the levels of music it's nothing like that but um they do write great songs and all the music content that the other great songwriters from who were not included in this mm-hmm. you're richard rogers and your irving berlin george gershwin mm-hmm. this whole tradition of songwriting in america I, I feel like you know they even though they're not american they they grew up loving american music mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting that uh, I, I still think it's kind of interesting that on their very first album, uh, Meet the Beatles, uh, there was a, uh, a a song from the American Songbook, Till There Was You. Paul sang Till There Was You. On wow, yeah. I remember hearing that and hearing Paul's voice. And at that time, the singing that I was listening to or that I knew about was like uh, Johnny Mathis and Frank Sinatra and, and Tony Bennett. And my uh, younger brother brought home this album and put it on the turntable and played this for me. And, and I heard Paul singing with the way he sings that song. And I thought, that's not that good. That's not very good. And I told my brother, I said, these guys, one and done. One album you'll never hear from, <laughs> the from Be- them again. The Beatles. What <laughs> the Beatles. That? You'll never hear from them again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Remind me, I ask you for some stock yeah. advice later.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... um, so their, their journey uh, from early rock and roll, I mean, at first they just started playing, uh, uh, well, they played a lot of different stuff, didn't they? They played a lot, of, a lot of rock and roll. They played hard rock when they sort of got their big uh, break in Germany and, and started building big audiences there. They were playing, I remember uh, reading that they, the, uh, the most defining aspect of the music, they were the loudest band in Germany
0: the stuff I've read and and heard that about the Beatles at that period that that has meant a lot to me number one there's this story about Little Richard um, they they learned music kind of the best way by studying other great music they had learned all the music all every little Richard song that they could get and uh, they had learned the whole thing the arrangement the chords everything and he heard them play uh, when they were in Germany, and came back to America and told his band, "There's these four white little English-speaking boys who played my music better than you guys," <laughs> something like that. I wish I had the quote right, you know. But it was definitely he's talking about these kids, yeah, white, yeah, which you would not think were playing, you know, American rock and roll. Yeah. But but you know the other thing that's significant about that period of time. They, I mean, they're playing; they're a cover band, right? At this point and and they're on purpose to kind of like get their chops together you know with their manager just sitting there for this and um so the pop tunes of of the you know the 50s are coming from like broadway and single acts like a frank sinatra where people were writing songs for them and they were in this great tradition of songwriting that jazz musicians also pull from you know which is why I love this tradition of songwriting. It goes all the way back to Stephen Foster in a certain way, but certainly Jerome Kern um with Showboat, one of the first American musicals. And each person writing and passing along what they innovated to the next person, all the way through to Richard Rogers, who was, you know, very active right at that same time. So they're playing these masterful songs. And uh, learning the ins and outs of them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... Forget music school. To me, that is music uh-huh. school. Mm-hmm. Studying, you know, studying others. And not copying, mm-hmm. but understanding. Yeah, I mean, to like, me, that makes them, uh, you know, musicians, musicians. Mm-hmm. You know, they understand me. They're not just some talented guys mm-hmm. with a lot of passion. Mm-hmm. You know, they actually love the music and love the craft of it, which is... And from two different takes. You know, John's take... And and Paul's, you know, why a great team? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and and as they evolved, uh, structurally, the things got more complex. They never sounded complex. They just sounded like good
0: songs. Isn't that the Isn't that the kind of what makes a song good? I mean, you don't need to know anything. That you don't need to know music theory or anything about the complexity to, mm-hmm. to get into it. You know, you know my my Fred Rogers project, but why. Mr. Rogers, his, his stuff, he, he writes great songs in the same way. And people think of them as children's songs, but they're really not. And they're full of complexity too, but you don't need to know anything about it. Mm-hmm. So there's this other story, uh, you know, I know about the Beatles, and, and there's actually a YouTube video of Paul McCartney talking about this when him and John were, you know, teenagers, high schoolers, um, primary school, mm-hmm. um, that they heard this rumor that there was a a kid their age um, north of them about an hour away who knew how to play on the guitar, how to play a B-dominant seventh chord. (laughs) And they wanted to know what that was, and they skipped school, worked their way all the way up, found this kid, spent the day learning guitar chords, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then came home. You know, uh, that kind of quest... (laughs) Mm-hmm. to find out something. To me, that's music theory. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean something formal. It's just wanting to understand how music works. And, and uh, you know, theory itself should, the word theory should explain it. it's not truth. You know, it's just a good mm-hmm. way of understanding how things work. Yes. So, so they learned their dominant sevenths, <laughs> yeah. And I can
1: only imagine how that expanded there now. I mean, that took them to a whole new realm.
0: I don't know if that one chord did, <laughs> but, but I mean,
1: a, a dominant. If they didn't know dominant Sevens, and suddenly they have, they now they have use of a dominant seven.
0: I mean, you know how? Who knows what the actual story is? I, mm-hmm. I, it seemed to me that they would know dominant seven, but they didn't know the names of things. I'm gonna guess, and it just helps to so, you know instead of just putting your hand here. Yeah, yeah and not knowing what anything what is. What yeah, yeah, you know, it's just, what, what I liked about the story was just like that drive and passion not mm. to be famous, but because they just loved how music works, mm-hmm. wanting to understand it, mm-hmm. you know, that, that to me, that's the epitome of a great musician isn't, isn't their stage presence alone or, you know, that it's, it's that they are in love with, with just music mm-hmm. itself. And that lets them share mm-hmm. with everyone.
1: You know, another aspect I think that's um, a, a unique, it it is uh, something that m- allowed them to evolve and develop and become what they did, is that fact that they worked together so well for so long uh, that John and Paul in particular were were inseparable for years and years, and they they'd spend what eight ten hours a day in the studio together working on stuff, and um, so that uh, that togetherness
0: really paid off for them. I mean, it's it, they're kind of like the epitome of a rock and roll garage band. Think it's that whole concept. I would think comes from them. You think about the fifties, and most of your entertainers were. Individuals, and they would hire a band to play with them, and you'd never—it didn't even matter who was playing, bass guitar, at least to the fans. Mm-hmm. So if you went to see Frankie, Frank Sinatra, Frankie Valli, or uh,
1: or Elvis Presley, Al- even
0: right. So it, it was about the performer, and it wouldn't be unlike like a more recent like a, a country star like Shania Twain, mm-hmm. who has other people writing songs for, her, although she wrote a lot of her own songs, mm-hmm. and then. Uh, having a band behind her. I have no idea who played drums for Shania Twain. Mm -hmm. But this idea of them, the four of them, eventually Ringo, right, Mm -hmm. you know, um, working together on this where they're, all of them are important. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a profound difference. And you can see how right after that everyone wanted to have a band, not one person being the star. But there's all, you know, so we get the Rolling Stones and led zeppelin and on and on and on you know um i mean there were other groups that were together but this idea that the whole band as a whole you know probably was restarted at that point i mean it definitely was a thing in jazz music earlier you know you'd go to, to go hear duke ellington you knew who was going to be playing saxophone so in a certain way it's an american almost democratic idea to be overtly philosophical about it but yeah, I mean, that's one of the great things about them. And they constantly change their music because they're working together, including fighting, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's spectacular. Some of those songs, I mean, so what would be your favorite? You don't have to stick to it, but pick two or three of your favorite Beatles well, songs. Well, you know,
1: there's, I was thinking about this uh, the other night, and um, I, I, I still play a few Beatles tunes in, in my repertoire. Um, Penny Lane. Mm-hmm. I love to play Penny Lane. It's just a, a neat tune. It's got a bounce to it. That's that's fun. Uh, I used to love fixing a hole, uh
0: huh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> where the rain comes in to stop my mind from wandering. So one of my favorite tunes, of course. I mean, you've got the classics mm-hmm. uh, like Yesterday, and that's an interesting
0: structure, isn't it? Oh, well, you know how I've talked about that song before. I love it. Uh, there's a special thing in the song that you don't even need to know about but if you're a, if you're a composer if you study songwriter whatever it's really kind almost makes the song and it's it's most songs are built in even measured structure symmetrical eight bars um, a common song form will have eight bars a done twice then a bridge b Eight bars and then an ending, you know. And um, what they did in yesterday's is in the in the first eight bars they leave off the eighth bar, so it's seven bars, which is very unusual. I don't know of another song, just off the top of my head, that's built in seven-bar phrases. There are there are songs that are seven bars, and then the eighth bar is actually the beginning of another eight-bar phrase where they overlap. Changing. This is not that. It's not overlapping. It ends in bar seven and then you have four beats. It's not overlapping. Mm-hmm. It's seven then you do that A section again and you know, you don't notice it unless you're learning to play it and then you're like I've even heard people play it, you know, like at a bar or something where they add that eighth measure <laughs> without probably without realizing uh-huh. it. And I can imagine them working on this song and taking that measure out and going, Yeah, that's it. You know, and maybe it has something to do with the name of the song. You know, I mean, you know, you're, you're changing time, Uh, but Uh it's, it's, it's perfect in the song. Mm -hmm. You know, every two bars, it goes, you know, yesterday, blah, 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 blah. blah. Then yesterday, different words, but you know, then Mm -hmm. blah blah yesterday, and then Mm -hmm. yesterday. But after that last one, you're expecting the same amount of time as the other ones. And it's half. Not to be too musical theoretical, but their songs are full of these amazing musical things that makes the song so much better and you don't need to know about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, to me, it's, it's exquisite songwriting. And there's a reason everyone still plays their songs and are still covering them and redoing them and finding different ways to do it. You know, one thing jazz musicians were drawing on the great songwriters of George Gershwin, Richard Rodgers, etc. One of the things about that is that when a song is written that well, it is so easy to adapt to your own things. And That's why jazz musicians love those songs so much. Mm-hmm. The harmonies are brilliant. The song structures are interesting, and they can improvise or put their own stuff on it. Right. And the Beatles songs are just like that, you know. I mean, you could do it with any songs, but there's something about just the level of songwriting. Yes, in it, the know? substance. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, they've got
0: substance. I, you know I like all their songs.
1: So I guess um, to wrap up our lesson from talking about the Beatles is just how, uh, how great, uh, uh, not just the impact they made, but their musicianship and the quality of the music that they wrote and performed
0: yeah I, I i'm on the same page i mean i i came to the beatles later in life you know in fact i i was i was 20 years old when i realized that it was spelled with an a beatles with an a <laughs> i literally was thinking bugs i mean my i have three older sisters they liked the beatles so you know i didn't <laughs> when i was younger you know um But when I discovered it and then got that play, I mean, it's silly to not know that, but, you know, it's the Beatles, (laughs) the beat, you know. Uh, And I I fell in love with them, like everyone does. And the thing that matters the most to me personally about it is is that talent is overrated. You know, when we're musicians, you meet people so often and they hear you play and they say, oh, you're so lucky, you're so talented, which isn't offensive, but... But imagine saying that you, your doctor, like, correctly gives you the right medicine, and you're like, "Oh, you're so talented!" Yeah, <laughs> it it leaves out this work. And I know there's a lot of feeling that you just are talented, and you get just to get discovered. But finding out the Beatles weren't just talented and lucky, or something that they had all this passion for understanding music, and and that's what makes them great, not talent but more like passion determination curiosity dedication yeah all these things that matter so rather than saying i want to be the most famous rock musician in the world or whatever or i want to make a ton of money they just poured their hearts into music and yeah they made money yeah. and yes they were popular and besides themselves over it you know and why rare time we have that's all documented we can see footage of all this stuff happening and just, just the idea that you, m- formal music school is not necessary. It's, an, it's helpful. It's, it's the curiosity and drive that matters. That's why I took from. It.